welcome to another episode of the Ever Podcast with me, your host, John McDonald. You can connect with us on Twitter, just find at Abba Podcast and follow us there. You can follow us on our Facebook page, the Abba Podcast with John McDonald. And all of the episodes can be found on Podbean, iTunes, Google Podcast, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Deezer and the usual suspects. I recently published a book called Maiden's Image. It's available from my website, sunship.co.uk or from Amazon Worldwide. In it, I look at misogyny and I look at how the Bible has been used to bolster misogynistic beliefs and attitudes, even behaviours. And one of the issues I address is the whole idea of women as helper. It seems quite a straightforward thing when we read that the woman is man's helper. When I ask you what a helper is, what do you think of? What springs to mind? Because that's what we're going to look at today. And I pray that you discover truths you weren't aware of before listening. So let's start looking at what it means for women to be helper to a man. Our English translations of the Bible languages can throw up problems for us. In Hebrew and Greek, the words that the Bible writers use often have different shades of meaning from the English words we use to translate them. For instance, the word that we translate adoption doesn't actually mean adoption as we understand it, and that's going to be the subject of a a podcast in the future. We heard last episode in The Secret Place that the word translated side in in John's Gospel, sorry, chapter 1, verse 18, has a much deeper, richer shade of meaning than the physical side of a person's body. Actually, it indicates a special and intimate relationship. And in this episode of the Abba podcast, I want to look at another word that causes problems uh, when we use it in our English translations. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 8, verse 1 and 2, We know that we all possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. The man who thinks he knows something does not yet know as he ought to know. You know, we think we know our Bible because we've learned scriptures, but what we've learned is English, someone else's translation. It's been presented to us in a language that differs vastly from the original. And it comes through the lens of men and women with their own worldviews and ideas of what God is like, their own ideas of how God regards people, interacts with them or not, depending on your theological outlook. What we have when we open our Bibles is the words of Scripture interpreted by fallible human beings. Perhaps we don't know our Bibles as we think we do. You know, for centuries, the dominant belief is that women are not capable of performing the same roles as men. And we're given many reasons for it. They're too emotional, they're menstrual, they're not as intelligent, they're not as spiritual or as strong. Women is lesser than man and, and is therefore only fit to perform secondary duties and roles you know, the ones that are unsuitable for men that, that men wouldn't stoop to, to deal with. And some would even say that this is God-ordained, and who can argue with God? You know, women are perceived as having been placed on the earth to serve men, attend to men's needs. For some men, that's interpreted as serving him in any whim or fancy that he might take him. <laughs> but help is a, has a variety of applications in everyday use. It has different meanings depending on the context. You know, you can help out a friend by lending them some money or cooking them a meal or helping them to decorate their their living room or something. The help you receive 
from a trauma surgeon during an operation is different from the help you get from a waiter or waitress in a restaurant. The helps they give are on different scales in regard to the, the urgency and necessity of, to life even. You know, the help someone gives when saving your life is on a totally different level to someone just serving you a meal. And it's no different in the Bible. You know, offering to assist, assist someone in ploughing a field or harvesting grain is not the same level as coming to the rescue of someone who's under attack or, or in deadly peril. And we see varying examples of, of help in the scriptures. In Proverbs 28 and 27, we read that he who gives to the poor will lack nothing, but he who closes his eyes to them receives many curses. And this is talking about performing an act of kindness and charity to assist someone else. In Exodus chapter 17, verse 12, when Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one in the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. And this is a little bit different, aid because while Moses' hands were up, Israel were winning the battle. So this was important assistance that they, they gave Moses when he was weary. And in Romans 12, 13, we're told to share with the Lord's people who are in need, to practice hospitality, just advice to, to look out for others. But when David killed Goliath, he offered Israel a different kind of help. And it can be argued that this is far more important in the, the grand scheme of things than just ploughing a field. It saved the whole nation from slavery. You know, when we think of someone helping us, we, we think of acts of kindness, helping to move furniture, lending us money, serving us by cooking and cleaning or, or offering hospitality, inviting people into our homes to, to visit or to stay. You know, we, we can serve people in many different ways. But I have a question. When the woman is appointed as helper, does helper in that context mean the same thing as serving and assisting her husband? We read in Genesis chapter 2 verse 18, The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And in verse 20, The man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air and all the beasts of the field, but for Adam, no suitable helper was found. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And some people believe this passage describes the woman being put in a secondary role to the man. Somehow she becomes his junior, his subordinate. And some say this is God giving man the primary role in life, while the woman takes a back seat and works behind the scenes to simply make things easier for the man. But is that really what God had in mind when he put the woman in the garden? Let's take, take a closer look. In verse 18 and verse 20, God is specifically trying to find the man someone to prevent him being alone because that was not a good state for him to exist in. And the idea of it not a good thing for him, it, it's a variety of meanings. It's not beneficial for his welfare. It's not agreeable. It's not a pleasant state to live in. You know, being alone for the man is not a positive experience and it's not valuable for the man either. It's not a pleasant existence. He would be in an unhealthy state. Now, we don't know for certain why God did it this way. He had all the animals pass the man to see if the man could recognise any of them being suitable for himself. And of course, we know the story. There, there were none among the beasts of the fields which were suitable candidates. 
I wonder though, in going through this process, perhaps the man becomes more acutely aware of his need for someone similar to himself. The need for one who would be equal to him as his companion rather than unsuitable and inferior like the, the animals. And I think this is quite significant. You know, man needed to understand his companion would not be a creature to subdue or control or break like the beasts he was ordered to tame. But that the one who was suitable for him would be one to share life with as an equal partner with strength that corresponds to his. And we'll look at that corresponding strength in a little moment. You see, up until that point, the man only knew a superior being, God, the one who gave him life who put his own life into the man. You know, his father is creator of the universe and he's way above Adam. It's not someone fit for him as a a companion on the same level. And the animals were inferior beings. The, The beasts of the field weren't on Adam's level. They were to serve mankind, to be domesticated. No one in all of creation was there at the man's same level. He needed to have another option beside God and the animals. And so God created the woman. And we see the song of of gratitude that Adam sings. He rejoices in her as a blessing to him. He was one just like him in appearance, other than the obvious physical differences between men and women. But she was the same as him in spirit and in status. That's what flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone means when Adam sings that song. And now they were one whole together. They shared a common DNA and biology. They had the same father, they had the same common purpose, to rule and subdue, to be fruitful together and increase. This one role in the development of the earth was a joint role and responsibility. Dominion was shared between them. At last, the man has another being just like him, just right for him. And he's just like her and right for her too. And at this point in our English Bibles, there are no details of the nature of help the woman is is supposed to provide. Some hold the belief that women are given only to make a home, to be nesters and take care of domestic matters while men go out and, and win the world and earn and provide for the family. But you see, in this instance, at the very beginning of human relationships, at the very beginning of the human race, it can't be domestic aid. There are no children, there's no defined household for her to serve in and nest in. The only role we can see that she's been given by God is the same one given to her husband. They they both received this commission at the same time. Genesis tells us in chapter 1 verse 27 and 28, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, God he created them. Male and female he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And it's interesting because God said to them and blessed them. Not He didn't say to one individual or bless one individual. He blessed them as one unit. He treated them both the same. Not one first and one second. Not one ahead and one behind. They were both treated the exact same way by God. And the charge to rule is a joint role of dominion and subjugation of the earth. There's no indication of a boss in the scenario we just read in Genesis. None of the language used indicates that one is appointed as leader and the other their follower. And regardless of what we've been taught, regardless of what we have believed out of all the things we've heard in Christianity, there's nothing in the creation passage 
that leads us to believe the man is superior to or has a greater purpose than his wife within God's plan for humanity. And I think, I'm convinced actually, those who hold such a view are imposing fallen human beliefs on this reading of the Bible. And I think it's it's approaching heresy. You know, people have made doctrine and practice out of these beliefs of women's inferiority. They've built whole denominations upon them and excluded a whole sector of humanity from bringing their gifting to the body of Christ. In fact, we could even speculate that the creation of women exceeds the individual glory of, and splendour of the man, because without the woman, the man was incomplete. With her, there was more. And that's, that is completely contrary to the beliefs that a woman is incomplete without a man to tell her what to do. <laughs> of course, such ideas are nonsense, but they are some of the, ideal, the ideological thoughts behind misogyny. Misogyny is just a hateful, spiteful and abusive philosophy which is based on fear and prejudice. And I don't believe it should be embraced by those who claim to love God. In fact, it's an evil hiding behind spiritual sounding phrases and doctrines but are, which are merely doctrines of men. Remember Paul said to the Colossian church in Colossians chapter 2 verse 20 through to verse 23, Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belonged to it, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all destined to perish with use because they are based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility and harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value. And when we speak of women as a helper in this podcast, we are coming against the principles of this world which lack any value. And in, in, Bibli- in Biblical Hebrew, the phrase for a suitable helper or helper fit for him is Ezer Kenegdo, pronounced Ezer, E-Z-E-R, Ezer. And it's used twice in Genesis, in chapter 2, verse 18, and chapter 2, verse 20. And both times, it's speaking of the need for Adam's helper, who turns out to be the woman. You know, unlike a lot of the English language, many countries' languages assign gender to words and objects even. So in French, you have la and le, both mean the. One is masculine, one is feminine. So in French, a table is feminine and it's called la table, while the floor is masculine and it's called le sol. The word ezer is a masculine expression in Hebrew. The idea of helper in the Hebrew language is imbued with masculine identity, but in this instance, it's used to describe the woman. It could be argued that the woman in her femininity is to be to the man an expression of masculine assistance that he lacks within himself. You know, it's, it's not shocking to think of a woman expressing masculine attributes or a man expressing feminine attributes. After all, both are made in God's image. God contains all that is masculine and all that is feminine. And when he imparts his breath into each of them, he imparts elements of both gender qualities into them so that they exhibit traces of the gender which is not innate in their biological sex identity. You see, the truth is that women hold elements of masculinity within themselves. That's why women can be leaders. If you believe that that leadership is a masculine attribute, that's why women can lead because they have masculinity within them. Just as men contain elements of femininity in their makeup. The problem we faced is that men have tried to eradicate femininity 
because we've mistakenly held it as a weakness and not been able to recognise the strength that is in femininity. I hear preachers railing against femininity, against men who recognise that part of their makeup, calling them sissy or weak. Let me tell you something. Those preachers don't have a clue what they're talking about. They are speaking out of fear and prejudice. And this word azer, apart from the two verses in Genesis, this word azer is used once in Exodus, in chapter 18, verse 4, and it speaks of God saving Moses from Pharaoh. It's used three times in Deuteronomy, chapter 33, in verse 7, verse 26, and verse 29, and it's God rescuing, aiding, saving. It's used ten times in Psalms, Psalm 20, verse 1 and 2, it's God's protection. In Psalm 33, verse 20, it's salvation and protection. In Psalm 70, verse 5, it's deliverance. In Psalm 89, verse 19, it's talking about the strength that God imbued David with as a warrior. In Psalm 115, verse 9 through 11, three times we read about salvation and protection. In Psalm 121, verse 1 and 2, it's talking about the hoping in God's salvation. In Psalm 124, verse 8, again, it's hope in God's salvation. And in Psalm 146, verse 5, it speaks of God as our only hope. It's also once in Isaiah, in in chapter 30, verse 5, and it's speaking about people who cannot rescue, who cannot save, military people. In Ezekiel, chapter 12, verse 14, it's speaking again of military people who are unable to effect any rescue. In 1 Daniel 11, 34, uh, it's talking about people who don't receive very much aid or rescue when they're attacked. And in Hosea, Chapter 13, verse 9, it speaks about God saving. You see, the context in each of these instances is speaking about people who are in danger, even peril of death, unless someone rescues them, delivers them, saves them, redeems them. Fourteen of these mentions relates to God's intervention on his people's behalf. So, for me, it's unlikely that the use of Azer to describe the woman as a helper is referring to someone who is less than the person they're helping or aiding when it's the same word that's used of God himself. It's used of human beings. You know, we read that about David in Psalm 89. He's the the one whom God imbues strength into. It speaks of the woman herself. It speaks of military leaders. And it's not necessarily referring to the one receiving aid as inferior. It's just recognising that this person has a strength the people needing rescued lacks. And according to a man called David Friedman, who's a a rabbi, the Hebrew word azer is a combination of two words. It's Z-R, which means to rescue and to save. And the other is G-Z-R, meaning to be strong. In the Greek version of the Old Testament, the word that's used to translate azer is boetos. And it's a word that's used in the New Testament, which means to come running to answer the battle cry, or in the, the role of, of rescuing. And it, it has the idea, along with Azer, of bringing help just at the right time, bringing assistance, bringing rescue and deliverance in the nick of time. And it was very widely used in, in this sense in non-Christian writings in the ancient Greek-speaking world. And we are able to see God in this position as our champion, our warrior, coming to our aid in time of desperate need. We might even be willing to acknowledge that we need that kind of assistance. Perhaps we can even imagine a human warrior 
our war leader coming to the rescue. But can we accept the woman was brought to the man in this same capacity? Is it too far a stretch for our masculinity to admit the need of a woman's strength and assistance in difficult times? So when we speak of the woman as helper, remember, this word, helper, azer, is the same word that describes God in his own rescuing, saving power. Woman is not the weakling that men have portrayed her as. Azer is describing some of the aspects of God's character. When he is Azer, he's our strength, he's our rescuer, our protector, he's our help in times of trouble and peril. And the woman is given that same role, Azer, to the man. And see, for the woman to be Azer, it does not mean the man has no strength or power. His is a different strength and power. Different from the power that the woman is invested with. Part of his Difference is, is a, a greater physical strength than, than women generally. But both of these powers joined together in harmony and mutuality is what is necessary for the world to work and develop as it should. Neither can be excluded or laid aside without, without, laid aside, sorry, without dire consequences for the human race. When men belittle and exclude the power of women because it's a, a different power from theirs, they rob the world of balance and healthy development. They rob the church of the gifts that God has given us in feminine form. A world that is built purely on masculine power is like unstable nitroglycerin, like you see in the old cowboy movies. They have to drive very carefully. If it goes over a bump, it could just suddenly blow. And it's like this masculine power that that domineers and dominates, it just waits on a spark causing it to explode. The danger is that a male-dominated church can be without empathy because it's focused on crusading, domineering, winning, battling, championing without nurture and comfort and care. When male church excludes women's power and gifts, that church becomes ineffective in its mission of transforming the world around it. Because what it does is merely reflect the world around it with bigotry and prejudice. So what is a helper? Helpers are azers. And azers are military people. God, the women, according to the Old Testament, those are the only three uh, people that this word is used of. And it sheds a whole new light on what the writer of Genesis is communicating regarding the relationship of those first humans. The writer is, is no way referring to the woman as lesser than the man. Her strengths are equal and complementary strengths and we're just going to look at that in a second. Again, back to Genesis 2, 18 and to through to 20. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. The idea of the helper, the azer, being a strong, forceful companion, is strengthened by the phrase suitable for him or some versions say fit for him. The Hebrew word we translate as suitable for him or fit for him is kenegdo, K-E-N-E-G-D-O, kenegdo. And it's a combination of three different Hebrew words which mean literally in front of. And the idea it conveys is of someone coming alongside as a counterpart, as an equal. It speaks of someone who is similar to or having the same nature as another. 
It's how it was used in, in various rabbinical writings and in the New Testament. And it really speaks of opposite but equal. The Old English word, and you read it in the King James Bible, is help meet. A little bit better than helper, but it's, it's still not adequate to describing what women as a helper is. You know, help meet carries the idea of suitable or fit for, you know, a match for. And what the writer is saying is the woman is a match for her husband. Someone, uh, I'm not sure where I read this, but this is not original to me. And this person described the kinegdo, the same but equal, uh, but opposite, sorry. They described it as like your two hands. You have a left hand and a right hand. They're the same, but they're different. You know, both hands, you've got bones, muscles, veins, skin, nails. Both hands have, hopefully, four fingers and a thumb. They're the exact opposite of each other. But one is not more important than the other. You might prefer using your right hand or your left hand to, to do some activities. But you can actually use either hand on their own for different activities. Together, your hands achieve more. You know, if you lift something heavy with both hands, both hands usually carry an equally distributed uh, portion of the weight. And so together they're stronger than just trying to lift with one hand, even your preferred hand. You get more done with less effort when you use both hands together. And this is only going to work when your one hand is the connecto to your other hand, the opposite but equal. And when we think of of that analogy, it gives us a a better indication of how evenly matched the man and woman are and how much is accomplished when they both take the role to lead, to subdue and be fruitful. And the use of this word helper in our English Bible translations, it, it, it only serves to reinforce patriarchal and misogynistic portraits of women as lesser and weaker and insignificant when compared to men. The phrase helper fit for him has the meaning of a rescuing strength and equal similarity. It indicates that the man and woman are on an equal footing before God and before one another. From the very beginning, we see a beautifully intimate relationship between the man and woman. Neither is dominating, neither neither is the boss of the other. Both complement each other. The creation accounts do not include anything that would indicate God considered one gender or one sex better or higher than the other. Masculinity was not considered better than femininity. The world was designed to be subdued and ruled over and cultivated by a a wonderfully unique union of equals, bringing harmony and peace to the wild and untamed creation. At no point do we see God appoint the man as leader, as boss, as head or overseer of his wife. In fact, the specific purpose of telling the story about the woman's creation is to emphasise the unity and mutuality of man and woman. And when we deny these aspects of relationships between the sexes, we have completely missed the point and distorted the purpose of the story being told. It is quite clear from the Bible that God did not consider one biological sex better or more preferable to the other. Masculinity and femininity within God himself are not working in a hierarchy. Masculinity and femininity within God's being don't wrestle for superiority over God's nature and deeds. When God acts, he acts in his full femininity and his full masculinity. And we could even say that before life had been breathed into the woman, she was already a part of Adam the man. And that's why he cries out, flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone. 
It's an, an expression of equality. The declaration of being one flesh emphasises the point that they are joined as one and therefore have no hierarchy within their oneness. You see, God's order of things is not a hierarchical order. Hierarchy is a man-made thing. We have the one at the top and then cascading down in levels of importance. But God's order does not work that way. God's order is an order of mutuality. Mutuality in respect. Mutuality in submission. And mutuality in service. God's ideal at creation was that the man and woman would be equal and rule over nature together, not rule over each other. In the new birth, you know, as a believer, equality is at the very heart of God's plan for his children. Paul tells us that in Galatians 3.28 and in 1 Corinthians 11.11. God's intent is that husbands and wives would be one flesh, one unit, which reflected him and the intimacy of the Godhead. And there is no hierarchy within the Godhead. You see, this is the truth that sexism and misogyny have fought against for centuries and the church continues to misunderstand and even resist in some quarters. Our resistance to women's equality and emancipation ignores the truth about the reason for her existence in the first place. She was equipped because man alone was not sufficiently equipped for life. That's why the woman was created, because the man alone was not sufficiently equipped for life. We could even conclude that Genesis chapter 2 verse 18 should be translated as I will make a power corresponding to the man or a strength corresponding to the man. And that the rabbi I quoted earlier, Rabbi Friedman, he suggests in later Hebrew language that the word kenegdo should be translated as equal. So that God then makes for the man a woman who is fully his equal and fully his match. (laughs) But man reeled against that after the fall, doesn't he? And we'll look at that those issues in, in another podcast another time. And this idea of the woman as Azer, it's not indicating female superiority. It's not suggesting male superiority either. To view human relationships through that lens of one being superior, one being inferior, is to misunderstand God. It's to misunderstand God, God's purpose in creating one flesh. You know, Paul speaks elsewhere about, you know, our body shouldn't be at war with, with, with itself. Our physical body shouldn't. And neither should this mystical, spiritual union of man and wife. Man and woman. They should not be at war with one another either. We have misunderstood God's purpose for mankind in this battle of the sexes. The power the woman has is the power that man lacks and is is in need of. Rescuing power and strength are found in femininity, which man can also express. But we have ridiculed femininity and created caricatures of femininity so that we rob mankind of feminine power. I believe, believe even that spirituality itself is a feminine attribute. And so many men cannot enter into the depths of spirituality because they refuse to embrace the feminine makeup of their own beings. And because of this rejection of femininity by men, humanity and the church is much the lesser for it. I believe it's in feminine power our progress and development lies. Let's set aside the outdated, the the misogynistic beliefs that have hindered 
our churches across the globe, let's learn to embrace the aspect of God's character and nature that we have resisted, that of the azer and the woman. And perhaps, who knows, where are we to take that route? Perhaps the revival that many are looking for will begin to be seen appearing over the horizon. It's just a thought. I'm John McDonald. I want to thank you for listening to the ABBA podcast. God bless. Bye. See you next time. Oh, 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 oh